Well, good morning again on this Communion Sunday. Uh, Last week we ended uh, the book of Ecclesiastes with these words. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. And we talked about the, uh, our translations say this is the whole duty of man. But it's the whole essence of man. But I wanted to uh, elaborate on the fear of God uh, the concept of the fear of God this morning. So b- before that, we do that, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the privilege uh, it is uh, to be here and worship you, Lord, uh, to learn from your word. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself in that way, Lord. We thank you for the uh, many Uh, different uh, translations of the Bible that we have to help us understand, Lord. And we thank you for the many uh, teachers that you have provided, uh, Lord, uh, to help us understand all through the, uh, the centuries, Lord. We thank you and we trust in your presence here this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we don't like to talk about the fear of God, do we? It's, uh, we don't like to think of God as being fearful or as worthy of fear or as causing fear. I mean, we, we'd much rather think of God as a God of peace and a God of love and compassion and all those uh, positive attributes. And, and while God is all those things, you know, He is love and, and peace and compassion and, and a whole lot more, uh, Scripture does tell us that God is to be feared. Uh, we find the concept of the, the fear of God all throughout the uh, Old Testament, uh, all throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and it's even reinforced uh, by Jesus himself. The Hebrew language of the Old Testament has many uses uh, of, of the word uh, we have as fear. Now, there are about 10 Hebrew nouns and 8 Hebrew verbs that we translate as fear to fear, or to be afraid. So, let me repeat that. The Old Testament Hebrew uses 18 words or phrases that we translate into three. So you can see that there are some issues with that. And uh, when the early Hebrews used those 18 words or, or phrases, the meaning could range anywhere from mild uneasiness to stark terror and anything in between. Now, for example, my wife might tell you that I have a fear of spiders, you know, which is true, but I would tell you that I would describe it as more of a mild uneasiness. You know, I don't freak out when I see a spider. It just, you know, makes me a little queasy. But my, my wife might also tell you that I have a fear of being stranded out in the middle of the ocean, you know, by myself, you know, with my feet dangling like this, you know, especially at night. Now, I would also, I would describe that fear as, you know, sheer terror. Okay, so my wife used the same word, fear, but with totally different meanings. So it's important when we're reading the Bible that we uh, understand the context of which the word fear is is being used. And, And to further complicate things, over time, the Hebrew language started to incorporate the concepts of, of reverential awe or, or worshipful respect uh, to their words uh, for fear. 
And, and the problem for us is that our modern translations don't always, uh, they don't do a very good job of conveying the original Hebrew meaning, as, we, as I said, you know, 18 down to 3. And we're left wondering if the translated word fear means, you know, reverence, respect, worship, awe, mild uneasiness, or stark terror, or something in between, or maybe all of the above. So I would suggest that most often uh, the use of fear, of the, the most scriptural use of the fear of the Lord falls into the respect, you know, reverence, awe category. And again, it's depending on context. I mean, for example, when, when God came down on Mount Sinai to give the law, and you know, the mountain was shaking, and there was lightning, and there was thunder and smoke, the verse says, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. Well, no kidding. You know, <laughs> that we, we would call that sheer terror. Uh, but I, I'm going to... I'm going to have us go through part of Psalm 34 uh, to show us the more common usage of uh, the fear of the Lord. So Psalm 34. I'll read the first six verses first. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. So first, David, you know, the writer of this song, which is what psalm means, song, he praises and blesses the Lord, so often when a psalm says, uh, the psalmist says he's blessing the Lord, it means he's speaking a good word about God. But then he invites the humble to join him uh, in praise and in exalting God's name. And then David explains, you know, why he's so fired up here. You know, David sought the Lord for help. He cried in his distress, and God answered him. You know, God delivered him, God heard him, God saved him. Those are all the words that he used. And, and you know, we would all agree those are good reasons to be fired up. And, and David expresses that in those first six verses. And then in verses 7 through 8, he summarizes the whole psalm by singing that those who fear the Lord will be protected. You know, even, even by an angel of the Lord, and they will be delivered. It, where it says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then with, with verse 9, David begins to teach and encourage the people to fear the Lord. He says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Now, if fearing the Lord in this context, you know, meant being terrified or afraid, you know, then David's praises and invitations wouldn't really, you know, in verses 1 through 6, they wouldn't really fit, would they? Uh, it, it just wouldn't make sense. But here, 
in, in this context is the most common usage of the word and, and is used uh, in this way in many of the other Psalms, uh, but especially in the Proverbs, you know, where we hear uh, the fear of the Lord uh, leads to wisdom or the fear of the Lord leads to understanding. And then, of course, uh, the fear of the Lord uh, showed itself up uh, a number of times in Ecclesiastes and then in Job. I know I'm going quickly, but we'll slow down in a minute. So verses 9 through 12. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? So the command to fear the Lord is a key concept in this psalm. So we're gonna, um, I'm going to talk about what that means so that we can approach God in the right way. So there are three points. The first point is that we are commanded to fear the Lord. In verse 9, uh, David gives us a command to fear the Lord. And, and it, it's God's people who are addressed. And, and the implication is that those who belong to God, who know God, and who uh, are positioned to obey His command, but not only positioned to obey, they're also expected to obey uh, this command to fear the Lord. So it, it's something that we must do. But I wonder, you know, how many of us really think about that idea of fearing the Lord? I know I don't think about it very often. I mean, we think about receiving God's forgiveness. Uh, we think about all the good things we want God to do for us. You know, we look for God's comfort and guidance, and, and those are all great things. But, but do we ever think, you know, today I really need to fear the Lord? You know, I, I know I don't. I don't wake up thinking that. So to help understand what this means, it helps to have uh, uh, the proper perspective. You know, first of all, you know, starting right from the basics, we will fear the Lord if we believe that He exists. Right? We, we have to believe that He exists. I mean, it might seem like a no-brainer, but God is not just an idea. He, he, God is not just you know, this, another you know, self-improvement concept. Uh, for example, there are those that believe that there's a monster in, in Lake Champlain, right? You know, we, we like to, it goes by the name of Champ. So I don't believe that Champ exists. So when I go kayaking out there, I'm not really going to be too, much, too concerned about, about Champ. So in, in the same way, if someone doesn't believe that God exists, you know, they're not going to be too concerned about fearing God, are they? And they're not going to be too concerned about relating to him in any way. Hebrews 11.6 says, Anyone who comes to him, comes to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Secondly, uh, we'll fear the Lord if we understand that he is above all. Isaiah 8.13 says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy, uh, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. It, it's, not just, it's not enough just to believe that God exists. I mean, I, I believe all of you exist, you know, but I'm sorry to say, uh, none of you, myself included, are above all. 
And uh, none of us is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. You know, only God alone is worthy of uh, uh, glory, honor, and praise. Only God is, is above all. And, and third, we will fear the Lord if we understand that God has the power and the duty and the privilege to judge all of creation. Uh, Acts 17.31 says, For He, God, has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed, which is Jesus. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. So all throughout Scripture, it tells us that God is going to judge the world uh, someday. And we'll uh, learn to fear the Lord if we understand that God has that power to do it and that He will do it. And then finally, we'll fear the Lord if we recognize that God is holy. He's set apart from all creation. He's set apart in purity. He's set apart in perfection. Uh, uh, Revelation 15 4 reminds us, he says, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. So only God is, is perfectly holy. I mean, if we, if we see God as our, our good buddy, uh, only forgiving, uh, and, and not eternal, and not holy, then we'll try to relate to Him as, as we would to any other human being. But if we know God in the ways that we've been describing, then we'll be more apt to fear Him. The second main point is that we can learn to fear the Lord from verse 11, where it says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Uh, That's from David. Fearing the Lord is not something that comes naturally to us, is it? So uh, learning anything new can can feel awkward, uncomfortable. Uh, You you can feel unskilled in doing that. I don't know if any of you remember uh, learning how to ride a bike. You know, that was pretty awkward. It was uncomfortable. Uh, I I know that when the first time I started reading the Bible, you know, it was awkward. It was a little uncomfortable. And uh, I I just, I didn't know what I was doing. I had to be taught. Uh, many, many things in life need to be learned, and, and the fear of the Lord is, is one of them. And all of us can learn the fear of the Lord because it's something that we can learn. We're capable of learning it. Proverbs uh, 2, 3-5 uh, through five, has a, a similar invitation to David's, and, and it contains a promise. It says, And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding... And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So if you, if you call out and cry aloud and look for um, understanding, uh, fear of the Lord, God will grant that to you. And you'll find knowledge of God, which I think is a great promise. Another point is that we should be motivated uh, to fear the Lord from verse 12. Verse 12 says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Uh, This 
verse has much to say about motivation. It tells us that the fear of the Lord is not a burdensome thing that we have to do because fearing the Lord will be good for us in the end. Uh, to live in the fear of the Lord will, uh, will accomplish a goal that all of us desire. I mean, we all uh, love life. We all desire life. Uh, we, we, we admire people who enjoy life. Uh, and, and we enjoy life, and the more we enjoy life, the happier we are. And, and who wouldn't like to see uh, not just many days, but many good days? I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to see those things? And, and I doubt if there's a person here who wouldn't uh, say that that's a desire of their heart. Uh, so, you know, do you love life? Do you desire good days? I, you know, I assume the answer is yes, and the implication is that if that is your desire, the way to fulfill that desire is uh, to live in the fear of the Lord. It's the, the Scripture tells us it's the person who fears the Lord who will have a good life and who will see many good days. So even though we might have all this knowledge of God and, and His holiness and His judgment and, and His knowledge of His glory, we, we still need to be motivated uh, to fear the Lord. Now let's talk about the way to fear the Lord. The way to fear the Lord uh, is in verses 13 through 22, and I'll get to those in a minute. So based on the foundation of the character of God, which we, we've looked at as we've gone along, there, there are two things that describe the way to fear the Lord. In other words, what are the things which I need to do in order to learn and thus live in the fear of the Lord? So I, I would suggest, again, there are two things which we need to do uh, straight from this psalm that we, if we want to live in the fear of the Lord. One is obedience and the other is trust. Verses uh, 13 and 14 tell us the way to fear the Lord is through obedience. It says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And also turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So first of all, David says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. I mean, if we fear the Lord, our lives will be one in which our speech will be good speech. It will be pleasing speech. It will be edifying speech. The, the person who loves a God will learn to say things well and, and say things lovingly. And, and the Bible's loaded with instructions about uh, how we speak. We're, we're told to use words which bless. Uh, we're, we're instructed not to lie, not to gossip, not to slander, and, and not to take oaths. Uh, we're told to speak the truth in love. And, and words uh, are so important be, because... You know, words can help communicate what's in our hearts, what's, what's in our souls. I mean, who, who we are is quickly revealed uh, as soon as we open our mouths. Isn't that true? Um, especially when you make fun of maple syrup. Um, so I'm a rascal. Uh, so... You know, words are, are so important because by them, uh, we who belong to God reveal, you know, whether our heart has been changed by Him or not. Uh, James uh, 1.26 is a powerful expression of the importance of this truth. It says, if anyone considers himself religious 
and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. And now I'm not saying that we can't joke around with one another. You, you know what I mean. We're talking about slander and, and gossip and all those things. But it's not only our words, but it's our, our actions that show obedience. As, as 14 says, turn away, which is an action, and do good, another action. Seek and pursue peace. Again, James, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, just to clarify, faith comes first without works, and then after we place our faith in Christ, I mean, we know this, then works, you know, prove or help show the word that we're united with Christ. So faith without works is a dead faith because the lack of works reveals an unchanged life, right? Or, or a spiritually dead heart. You know, there are many verses that, that say that true saving faith, faith will result in a transformed life. And, and that faith is demonstrated by the works that we do. I mean, how we live uh, reveals what we believe you know, to an unbelieving world. And, and whether the faith we profess, profess to have is a living faith. Uh, whether one is living in fear of the Lord. So how, how we live is, is very important. Uh, it, it's a part of our testimony is, is how we live. And, and just as uh, verses 13 through 14 show that the fear of the Lord involves obedience in our words and actions, verses 15 through 22 show that fear of the Lord also involves trust. I mean, we can trust in God's care as verse 15 shows that God both sees and hears His people. It says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards his cry. I mean, this should be a great comfort to us that the eyes of the Lord are always upon us and his ears are always uh, listening to us. His ears are attentive to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. I mean, have you ever cried out to the Lord in anguish? I know I have. Uh, but God, we know that we can trust that God has heard that cry. And when we pray, we can trust that God hears our prayers. Uh, uh, to fear the Lord means that we can taste and see and trust that God hears us when we cry to Him. You know, even, even when we cry silently in our hearts, even when the words don't come, um, even when we just don't know what to say. And then the rest of the psalm is just loaded with expressions of, of the Lord's care. Uh, we read in verse 18 that the Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, verse 20, he protects all his bones. So are you comforted that the Lord protects all of your bones? I mean, that, you know, obviously that just means he protects your whole, your body, your whole existence. And then verse 22, the Lord redeems his servants. So trusting in God's goodness is another response to what it means to fear the Lord. And finally, and you know, there's some mystery behind this. Uh, we trust God when we read something like uh, 1 John 4.18 that says that perfect love expels all fear. The perfect love of God expels 
all fear. So you might be wondering, you know, how can we fear God while at the same time He expels fear? You know, what's that all about? Well, Scripture is full of examples of how fearing God is a positive rather than a negative thing. Uh, in Genesis uh, 42, Joseph wins his brother's trust when he de declares he is a God-fearing man. Uh, it, it was because the midwives feared God that they obeyed God instead of the authorities uh, by sparing the Hebrew babies in Exodus. And then uh, Pharaoh brought disaster on Egypt because he did not fear God. Uh, Moses chose leaders to help him uh, on the basis that they feared God and wouldn't take bribes. Uh, and and uh, Moses told the Hebrews that God met with them in a terrifying uh, display of His power so that they wouldn't sin. And then uh, the Mosaic Law you know, cites fear of God as a reason to treat the disabled and the elderly and, and the poor and the oppressed. You know, we find that uh, in Leviticus. And it's not only just an Old Testament idea. We can see that Jesus states this stronger than anyone uh, when he says, he says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So that's leaning more towards the, you know, the sheer terror aspect uh, for someone who's not a believer. But for the believer, there's comfort in that that uh, God will protect you because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And Paul says to work towards complete holiness in 2 Corinthians. He says to work toward complete holiness because we fear God. So it, it's clear from these passages that fearing God is good because it saves us. It saves us from our own sinful nature. Uh, that, that's why hearing when you hear someone that's God-fearing, uh, that, that gives us a clue that we can actually trust that person. You know, we describe people, oh, that, that guy's a God-fearing man. And, and people use that deliberately. If they fear God, they're more likely to keep their word. They're more likely to treat others uh, with kindness. And uh, in Romans 3, which is the, the, the classic chapter on sin, uh, it says that our chief sin, our number one sin is that we have no fear of God at all. That's the, that's the plight of mankind. So how, how does fear of God, who is perfect love, also take away this fear? Uh, I, I found this, um, this quote from a, a writer named uh, William Eisenhower uh, in Christianity Today. I found it very helpful. He says, as I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so He may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but He forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. So there's a mystery behind that, but we see how the two can be compatible. 
And of course, the ultimate example of fear and perfect love working together is, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, he warned us constantly to fear God, not man. And he confirmed that everything, he confirmed that truth in everything he did uh, with his life and his death. He spoke lovingly, but frankly, to all. He didn't mince words when people needed to face their sin and repent, repent it. But Jesus also demonstrated love beyond human understanding uh, when he lived out his words where he said himself, and he was the uh, example of this, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So with, with love like that, you know, what's left but to fear God? There's nothing else that we need to fear but God with love like that. So we see that God balances fear of him uh, with his love for us. Again, Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Christ's love for us is completely reflected in the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, we go back to 1 John, which is, uh, you know, John is called the disciple of love. If you want to learn about God's love, read 1 John, where he says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. We might live through Jesus. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us to be the propitiation for our sins. So, during communion, as we remember Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, you know, let us also remember that only with a, a fear of God, with the awe and the wonder and the terror and even the dread, the reverence and respect you know, for a perfectly holy, righteous and just Creator, only with that in mind can we fully appreciate uh, what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. Uh, gentlemen, come. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his closest friends uh, together uh, to share a meal together. We know this. And that this Last Supper was intended to be uh, done, uh, honored frequently by the church as, as a way of remembering his sacrificial death on our behalf, so that, as we said, we might live. So, and if you're not a follower of Christ, we ask that you let the elements you know, pass by, but also use this as an opportunity to consider your need for Christ as your Lord and Savior and your need to repent and believe. And if you do that, well, Christ promises that you will be saved. You will be born again. Amen? Praise God for that. Uh, forgiveness in Christ is available to anyone, anyone who would come to him in repentance and faith.